time of Reagan and before the rise of Seagal, Snipes, and Van Damme, there was an age undreamed of. Unto this land came Arnold the Austrian. He was a barbarian, a demigod, a killer robot from the future, and he was destined to wear the crown of Hollywood upon a troubled brow. It is only his chroniclers, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran, who can tell you of his legend. This is his saga. Podcast de la Vista, baby. Where have you gone, John Milius? <laughs> Our nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Mike, could there ever have been a more perfect execution of a Conan sequel? Lot on your knife. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, yes, of course, we are talking about Conan the Destroyer from the year 1984, directed by Richard Fleischer, who has a pretty insane filmography. We're talking Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, yeah. uh, Soylent Green, Fantastic Voyage. I mean, this is a pretty storied career, and he would later go on like a year after this to do Red Sonia with Arnold. Mm-hmm. And uh, a screenplay by Stanley Mann, who's... Probably most famous for a British spy film called Eye of the Needle. And it's based on a story by comic book legends Roy Thomas, who probably wrote more Conan comics than anybody else. And Jerry Conway, who's probably most famous for long runs on The Amazing Spider-Man and Justice League of America, and was a co-creator of The Punisher. So, That's amazing. Yeah, it's, there's so much actual base to this. its sort of comic book history. Oh, yeah. Unlike the last movie. They've both disowned uh, the script. It was eventually <laughs> written from their script. Yeah, they were story-by credits, for They were sure. story-by credits, and they actually eventually did go on to write an original graphic novel that said, okay, let's just do our script as a comic book because they didn't do it as a movie. That's awesome. Okay, so, of course, we are joined in the studio for the second time by, speaking of Soylent Green. Yeah, Soylent Green. If you're uh, any of our Patreon viewers, you know that one of our Black Ops episodes had the man who had never had Soylent Green spoiled for him. That rarest of unicorns. (laughs) And we're joined, of course, Mr. Sean Duncan. Yes, that's right. And I now know that uh, well, if you haven't seen Soylent Green, you should pause and skip ahead three seconds. <laughs> Soylent Green is people. Yes. And uh, I remember the moment um, you two found out that I hadn't seen it, you said, do not even type it into Google because I think the autocomplete for that. <laughs> you don't. Yes. It's, it's, it, was, it was not just that you hadn't seen it. It was that you had no idea what the spoiler was. And most people probably haven't seen Soylent Green. Soylent Green. Or been spoiling, but they didn't even know the spoiler of the movie, and it's it's really funny. It was a rare thing because you're a Futurama fan, so I was like, "How could you not know that?" That's like one of five things that they reference constantly. (laughs) Well, I've only seen like uh, three episodes, so (laughs) not if if there are any Futurama uh, spoiler episodes you want to do with me, we sure because I've only seen a few. Sure. Oh, the one with the dog. Oh, that's so sad. Okay, so, um, of course, you've been on the show before, so we have a, a bit of an idea of what your history was with the movies of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but we're talking about Conan today. This is like one of two series that I think he's actually come back in the lead role for a sequel. I mean, it's something that Arnold did not do, was just this and Terminator. Right. So, do you have a history with, with Conan the character, Conan the movies? Have you seen these before, Sean? Not at all. It was my um, my very first time seeing um, Conan. Um, I've seen it like passing through channels, and it would pop up, and there would be Arnold being really buff and not saying much, and then I would just change to the next <laughs> channel and keep Aww. going. I was going to say, yeah, these movies did kind of have this like incredibly extended life on the fact that Cable probably showed Destroyer. You know, hundreds of times more than the original one, I'm sure. Oh, Cable is all about the 1980s fantasy movie. No, I'm just saying, even more than that, even more than that, just like Destroyer was probably cheaper to play than oh God, the Conan the Barbarian. So. Oh yeah, the, the rights are cheaper. <laughs> it's got material that's more appropriate for TV. It's true because this went from a movie that was a hard rated R in Conan the Barbarian to being PG. 
with Conan the Destroyer. I mean, yeah. and the material definitely changes. This is something that's, it's a lot easier to put this on TV with fewer edits than, <laughs> I think Conan the Barbarian probably would have been about 45 minutes long if you edited all the objectionable things out. You just have him pull his sword out and then he's just walking out of a room and you're like, oh, I guess there was a fight I can't show on TV in between that. Okay, so I've got something to share with you. When um, I purchased Conan the Destroyer, I also bought um, the um, Pathfinder core rulebook because there's a D&D group. And so it arrived together in the package. I opened it up in front of some of the people from that group and they knew I was making a barbarian character. So they thought that was <laughs> oh, right. yeah. research. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I bet they were really impressed. They were. They were like, that's pretty pretty impressive how you have that barbarian movie arriving with your Pathfinder book. So, Sean, uh, one of the things we always ask folks uh, when they come on the show, if you could give us a synopsis of the plot of Conan the Destroyer in like a paragraph or two, what is this movie about? Okay, here you go. Here we go. There once was an Arnold by the name of Conan. Queen Teramis tricked him into going to get an artifact that activated Dagoth. Conan and his crew knew how to pwn him. Okay, second time around, I want to do this with Beastie Boys style. Okay. All you need to know is Conan, Goin, Dagoth, pwn him. Which also turns out to be an excellent summary of the plot. Okay. Use those four words. Conan. <laughs> Go in, Win. dag off, ponin. Pwn him. Pwn him. Pwn him. Okay. okay. All right. There once was an Arnold by the name of Conan. Conan. Queen Terra mistricked him into going to get an artifact that activated Dagoth. Conan and his crew knew how to pwn him. Awesome. That wasn't that wasn't <laughs> awful. <laughs> thank you, thank you for the thank you for the lyrics. Yes, yeah, it's, it's lyric nice that we can we can act as a uh, parking brake on your skills there. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, we, oh. uh, I got a lot more than I bargained for just then. This movie is kind of an extended video game escort mission. Uh, this game, this movie is Conan 2 The LARPing is what this is. This feels like the most expensive D&D LARPing ever. It does have that, that Dungeons & Dragons feel. It's like, okay, so this, um, this quest giver has told me that I need to get a thing that I need to use to get a different thing. And there's a betrayal in there. So no, but just then you pick up all sorts of your rogues gallery of people along the way who are from different different classes and different alignments or whatever. Yeah, you got a wizard, going, you got a thief. Yeah. You've you've got Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, so we should talk about the cast here. So this is it's yeah. this, the only sort of character that's brought brought from the previous movie is Mako's Akiro, the the sorcerer, who is. You know he's solid. He gets a he's, name this time. He's solid. Yeah, he doesn't have a name. He was in the just last like the one. Wizard of the Mounds, I think, in the first movie. But uh, he kind of basically just uses Akiro as like a mix between like a magic eight ball and what is that skill in Skyrim where you can use a spell to show which path you're supposed to go? <laughs> I remember that one. That was oh, that was one of the um, that was one of the spells that I got because I got tired of getting lost. But the problem with it just that makes spell, the adventure easier. It, di- it didn't make it easier for me because it would make me go into circles a lot of times. <laughs> oh, yeah, they get better at it as those games go on. There was like a couple of those. The map is useless. But Akira was just like, Akira, where is she? He's like, over there. And he would do that. And he would also be kind of a garage door opener occasionally in this movie. <laughs> he, he didn't do a lot in like fights and stuff, but he would tell you the secret trick. He's like, oh, you've got to attack the horn. Yeah. Or, no, just, he's, he's there for plot convenience. Like He's just like, well, how are we going to have an obstacle? Well, Akira's going to tell us exactly how we're going to get over this. You know. But even even with all of that, he is still more useful than Malik the Thief. <laughs> you mean Bob? Yeah. You mean Bob the Goon. From so, Joker? <laughs> from yeah. Batman 89, Joker's so, Goon? this movie, and he's just one example. I'm going to call him Bob for the entire... He's kind of Bob. Yeah. Uh, he talks a lot more than Bob the Goon did in Batman, where Bob the Goon doesn't really say much of anything. He but This guy just keeps talking. Yeah. Oh, and Arnold's not punching him is the greatest piece of restraint that he ever shows. <laughs> so um, this movie is full of, I know that guy from that thing. Yeah. Did anyone recognize Tothamon, the wizard that they rob no. halfway through the movie? No. 
That is Pat Roach. Pat Roach, you probably don't know his name, but I bet you you've seen him in things because he is the giant bald Nazi that Indiana Jones what? battles in Raiders outside no, the plane. No. That's him. That's he, awesome. He's that is also, so awesome. He's also General Kale in Willow. And um, oh. he's an ex-pro wrestler, which is why in that fight with Arnold, he both does a body slam on Arnold. And a suplex, right? Yeah, it was like an attempted powerbomb. <laughs> and he does like a big swing where he's, it's like the stupidest thing in the movie. Oh, it, it, I, I, I had that as on my notes. It's like, this looks like a WWF sort of match here between the monster, Thothamon's sort of like mirror monster and Arnold there. And they're basically like in an octagon. Yeah, he turns, a little mirror. <laughs> he turns him into a, he becomes like a dragon man, but not a dragon man who has enough of a budget that you could cover his whole body in scales. Like if you notice, it's just his fingertips. And then his head, and then parts of it on his chest. Right. And he wears a cape, you know, so that you don't have to show the rest of him. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's just such a bizarre movie. Well, um, and then we'll be also we mentioned Wilt Chamberlain, yes. at the Wilt Chamberlain who NBA plays, superstar, and yeah, uh, the Wilt the Stilt with his twenty thousand women in, in on his notch on his uh, headboard. That's true. And then uh, Grace Jones playing Zula, who may be the greatest character in this movie. Oh my God, she's amazing. Um. This is a movie where I really think a lot of people are struggling and failing to maintain their dignity, but I really think <laughs> Grace Jones comes out of this better than most. That I think that she sort of just goes, what, I'm in a stupid movie? Um, I'm in a movie that has a lot of silliness in it? Fuck that, I'm going to continue to be crazy and fierce, and I will... I'm. I'm. She. She battles the tide of of embarrassment better than most. I mean, Arnold. Like again, we mentioned that thing where he's being swung around by the Dragon Man. Uh, that is such a silly moment for Arnold. <laughs> it's. It's not a moment that we would get with Arnold very often in his career. I mean, unless, I mean, not even in Twins did he sort of face that indignity. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of silly things in Twins, but. It's such a strange moment. There's actually a really cool animated GIF where they take. Arnold being swung around, and they've matched that to uh, Rose from Titanic swinging around <laughs> with uh, Jack. So it appears that she's actually swinging him around a room. <laughs> but the movie is just kind of full of that. All of these people that you sort of recognize from different things. You might recognize that Princess Jenna is Kevin Arnold's older sister on The Wonder Years. I didn't, but like, yeah. You might have, okay, you might have been I remember that. Yeah. You might have been distracted by the fact that in this movie she's only 15 years old and it kind of feels like I should be on a registry now <laughs> based on how they dressed her and how they filmed her. And yes. I'm like, that isn't cool, guys. That's really not cool. I want to feel a little bit icky while watching a Conan movie, but not in that way. Well, I mean, this being a PG movie, uh, there was no boobs, which you sort of would expect that to be what you see in a in a Conan movie. Yeah, there's usually a lot of a lot more violence. There are some some blood squirts and stuff like yeah. that. All the nudity is obviously taken out. Um, don't really know how nudity works in in conjunction with the historical rating system. Because, I mean, Charlton Heston's butt is in the original Planet of the Apes, and that was rated G. Um because really, it's just so adorable. I'm not it's really not sure offensive. how. I'm not really sure how that how that works. But there's a lot of really strange things in this movie. But I think it has the feel of a movie that was cut down to PG. And I was wondering if uh, this movie might have come out before PG-13 was a thing, and if that would have affected. It did. Yeah, it did. Now, the PG-13 is kind of that magical place that all movies are trying to hit. Um, I think violence is a little easier to stomach for PG-13 than, than nudity. And Arnold in Conan movies always had a lot of a lot of nudity, a lot of graphic violence. Because it wasn't just him hitting people with a sword. There's a lot of him hitting people and there's kind of a clang sound. But in the original, there was a lot of meaty thunks. Yeah, well, if you notice, most of the hits are not like... Are not like uh, slicing open flesh or chopping off anything. They're mostly they kind of feel like SCA sort of battle where you know if you're being stabbed by a spear, it's under your armpit, you know, and mm -hmm. it's foam from the side. Or you know, uh, it's Arnold sort of you know has a one shot of Arnold facing the camera, poking his sword up, and the next scene you see the guy who he's poked is holding onto the sword, you know. So it's it, it feels very fakey. It feels very much like 
of bad B movie. A lot of I guess this is what this is. is a it, lot of that's you're looking right at the camera stabbing downward. It's kind of like yeah. what Bruce Lee did with his foot. Yeah, a lot of the yeah. time. Yeah, but just like I, you just imagine a gross death. At least Bruce Lee had a crunching sound that would play under him doing that. Right, and then that you're right. It. Even even the sound design is is peeled is sort of uh, peeled back because I remember sort of the the standoff at the end of the first. Conan movie, which we got those great samples from uh, for Golden Axe. There's some nice like watermelon crunching sounds for yeah. people getting dispatched that you just don't hear here. Yeah, this is. I think the studio said, okay, we made a lot of money with an R-rated movie. I we could make even more money with a PG-rated movie. And it turns out they did. They did. They did yeah. make more money, but they stopped making sequels after this. Yeah. I know that Arnold was contracted with them for a while and they wanted to do Conan the Conqueror, which would have been the third movie in this trilogy. I, I noticed they set up for that. Yeah. In, they, the, in the credits. Like, and they had a similar story. You didn't see it because they had, a, they had a similar thing at the end of the first one where it's sort of like, you know, okay, well, he's still going to be King Conan and, uh, you know, he's wearing his crown on a troubled brow and there are more stories to be told. They, they're sort of carrying that forward because... Ostensibly, you could keep making Conan movies for, forever, you know, forever because he's got enough in infinite stories. Yeah, you could just—I mean, he's always going on adventures and things. But that third one never came, and by the time it was, you know, Arnold's contract had expired with them, uh, he didn't want to renew. He clearly had a lot more options outside of just these Dino De Laurentiis movies, and he—I mean, he did Red Sonia after this, and he was kind of done. Yeah. I mean, these are these are the sort of movies where I think that they become less enjoyable. He probably would have kept going if it was more like Conan the Barbarian. And it's funny because they you have this R-rated Conan movie with Arnold, and it's this big success, and you make a PG one, but what Arnold spins off to do are more R-rated movies. Yeah. That they're probably perhaps not as bloody or gory as Conan the Barbarian, but I mean, he's the same year this came out, The Terminator came out. Sure. And he's just gunning down all sorts of folks in that one. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I, I really noticed about the original is the world of Conan in the first movie is very grounded and kind of ugly. And there's like a nastiness to it. Yeah. Like it's hard to survive and you have to be like this crazy badass to to succeed in it. And this one kind of softens it. It feels like uh, Richard Fleischer was going in more of a, a Jason and the Argonauts kind of classical direction right and it feels you, you bit... almost thought it was it would be like a harry Housen thing like you'd see a stop-motion monster somewhere which is the one part that i thought that this movie should have had that it, didn't it didn't have. it kind of teases it a little bit like the statue of dagoth starts to move a yeah. little bit before it turns into by the way that's andre the giant in a rubber kaiju suit no, what uh, really you didn't know that no shit that dagoth that you see at the end uh is andre the giant and he's wearing a giant you know aquatic kind of lovecraftian it looks like he should fight godzilla yeah um, yes it does and that there actually is a really cool cast photo that you can find of people on set. It's Arnold and Wilt Chamberlain and Andre the Giant on the set of Conan the Destroyer. And Arnold looks like he is so tiny in that shot. It's so weird because <laughs> Wilt Chamberlain's like seven feet tall. Andre the Giant is slightly over seven feet tall. And Arnold's like, I think, six foot or just under six foot. And it looks like one of those shots from the Lord of the Rings, and Arnold is like Gimli. <laughs> he, he's so tiny compared to them, but you're so used to him towering over everyone. Um, it's it's pretty crazy. But uh, the thing with this movie too is that it had that kind of like when you go to the Wizard's Castle for Tothamon, it suddenly looks like a very different movie. Uh, right. The sets are more obvious than they were in Conan the Barbarian. Uh, it feels a bit more like you're looking at a foam. Um, plaster castle that they're climbing up, especially the shots of the stairs. Mm -hmm. It it's a very different thing than the shots when they're out in the desert or out in like in front of a mountain that's clearly real. Right. There's something that kind of pulls you back, and normally this doesn't bother me. And this is the bias that I find myself fighting with, where I don't know if I'm being fair to Conan the Destroyer. Because on one hand, none of this stuff would bother me if Conan the Destroyer was the first Arnold Conan movie, and it was setting the tone for what that was. But it's kind of like, you know, Bioshock 2, where it had, not that, you know, Conan the Barbarian is like Bioshock 1, but <laughs> I think it's a, it's a pretty great movie, and it does something that none of the other uh, 80s fantasy epics were doing. You know, things like Beastmaster, Quest of the Delta Knights, or, you know, right. Your Hunter from the Future. There's like a thousand of those that came out. 
And they all have that sort of like, I'm in the California hills or the California, you know, northern woods. And I'm running around. Um, and occasionally there's like a village or something like that. But the budget is there. This clearly has more of a budget than those movies. But Conan the Barbarian feels a bit more games of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Where in Game, Game of Thrones, there's this real sense of I'm going to use a real castle or I'm going to use these things or I'm going to shoot it in such a way that it feels like I'm in a real place that's old and ancient. And filming it in Spain, I think, helped because yeah. it doesn't look like it's in North America. Well, they, they did uh, find the non-Union Mexican equivalent and they just shot this in Mexico. Yeah. So, so it, that's that's what I kind of find is it's yeah. clearly still in North America in yeah. this one. This one feels a lot more like it's more like a much more higher budgeted version of something like, you know, Beastmaster. Hercules, the legendary journeys. Yeah. I mean, there's that kind of, at least, at least Hercules was in New Zealand though. Right. I mean, where the backgrounds never felt like I wasn't in a long forgotten age. Wait, is this Hercules with Kevin Sorbo? Yeah. Kevin Sorbo. That was uh, 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 Kevin Sorbet. Kevin Sorbet. Sorbet. <laughs> uh, but Kevin Sorbo, that, that series was in New Zealand. I think that's where they sort of planted the seed for what would later become the Lord of the Rings movies, yeah. which is that it feels like an ancient place. It doesn't feel like if I go a couple miles away from where I'm filming, there's going to be dudes on ATVs. No, in fairness, the one bit of ex- of exterior location that did feel good and ancient was the lake that Tothamon's castle. Because it's got like a little bit of a ruin of like... You know, like a fairy dock. It's, you know, it's got just four walls and it's missing a, missing the ceiling or whatever. That sort of felt like a mystical place. Unfortunately, the reality of that is ruined by what I think is a really cheap special effect of the model castle over the over the lake. Yeah, just that that. It, it, but you're right. Very little of the exterior it looks as impressive as it does in the first movie, where it really you really do feel like you're in the Hyborian age. You feel like you're. 10,000 years ago, and there have been civilizations that have came and went for 20,000 years before. You know? And then there are little touches in this movie where it works. I mean, there's like that bit in the desert with the, the mammoth skeleton. I thought that yeah. was great. Yeah. Um, there's one shot that I think is is amazing and beautiful, and if the rest of the movie could look like this, it, there's a part where um, they've just taken the gem from uh, the wizard, and they're going, they're, they're chasing these bad guys that they don't know work for Queen Teramis, who hired them. And Arnold gets into, chases them into a clearing to save Princess Jenna. And he does battle with our good friend... Sven Oli Thorson. Yeah, Sven is back. And um, <laughs> there's this back. shot where they're in a clearing in the woods, and there's this like mist up near the top of the trees. Yeah. I mean, they're very clearly in that place. It's not just a matte painting. There's mist, there's these god rays coming down, there's this weird, ancient, raggedy, jagged spire of rock in the middle, Mm -hmm. and it just looks great. I mean, it looks like such a great location, and it doesn't feel like the movie finds enough of those, or maybe it's just the contrast between those and things like the interior of Tothamon's castle that look really bad, because there's a couple sets that look good. I like... How Queen Teramis's throne room yeah, looks. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, that I do have problem. I too have sort of problems with the look and feel of this film a lot, and uh, it, it's it is unfortunate that the big the first sort of uh, action set piece that they have is the Tothamon's castle because it does look super cheapy. Um, but Queen, I call her Queen Bavmorda because I can never remember her name, and she basically is the same character from Willow or something. Um, Queen Bav- Bavmorda, who? What's the name of her? What's the name of her land? Her her city? Is it Shadaloo? Isn't that what M Bison? Shadazar? Shadaloo. It's M Bison. Shadaloo. That's yeah. Right. They it, say it a couple times, but it doesn't right. ultimately matter. Um, the you know, there's like ponds where peacocks and geese are there. There's some amazing like clearly there were parts of the set that there are these sort of um trusses and spires where there is an entrance up like 30 feet up that's over it and it's and the the architecture sort of matches the exterior model matte painting that they have because the city's on a cliff like some of that is is pretty impressive i also thought that the design of the crypt where they find the horn is also pretty amazing like the 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 glyphs that akiro reads when he reads the legend and sort of figures out the that this is all a trap. Yeah, the and problem of the MacGuffin, basically. We're going to unleash the evil Elder God. The, some of that stuff is great. Like it's like it's really well done. It unfortunately still feels very set-y. Yeah, I think it. I think that we've talked about this before, and I don't have the the vocabulary 
to to explain why it looks that way. We talked about this a bit with the Terminator movies and the later Terminator sequels that sometimes there's a way that you film it that changes everything. And I think that had John Milius done something with that same set, we would be drooling over it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the set builders did their jobs great. Except with the Tothamon's castle, <laughs> which kind of looks like it's a blown up version of something that you would put in a fishbowl. <laughs> it's it's pretty crappy. Um, it looks like it should have a chest in it that blows bubbles. <laughs> it's it's really bad. But I think that's the thing is that there's these little pieces, these little glimpses of things that look great. And when you get to the fakey things, they seem even more fakey now. Where if they had all been kind of fakey, it would have been just part of its charm. That it's like, okay, it's low budget, but it's clearly not low budget. Yeah, I, this, it's the thing is, I don't think this movie decides whether or not it's supposed to be a B-movie. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, Because certainly John Milius did not set out to make a B-movie. He set out to make a very expensive um, like first-run blockbuster movie yeah. that happened to be set in a medieval, you know, prehistorical fantasy setting. And But lots of prehistorical fantasy settings are B-movies just by their very nature. And this one seems to just fall into being one. And I don't I don't know. So, Sean, you're, you're somebody who... You never saw the original Conan the Barbarian. This is all the yes. Conan you've ever gotten. Yeah. Um, so our bias is just smeared all over this conversation. So right. not having the context of having watched Conan the Barbarian, did any of this stuff that we're, we're whining about bother you? Well... I wouldn't say that it bothered me, but I did. I did notice it, and I thought of it as a B movie from the beginning. So, um, the the throne room set, you know, that royal city look, it seemed pretty fake to me because it was just all pristine white marble. It's like a little too, little too clean, um, and. Yeah, every the the special effect of the um, dragon spirit or whatever it was that the guy in the <laughs> castle sent Ta- out. Yeah, Tothamon turns into a pterodactyl, I yeah. think, or something. Yeah, I was like, that's really <laughs> cheesy, but I thought the point was to be cheesy, so it didn't. I mean, at the time, me. I don't think you could have done made an animated dragon, um, you know, magic dragon, probably any better than just hand hand drawing over the, you know doing a double exposure or something with someone hand drawing over film, which is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's a, that's a context I kind of almost need because I can't not pretend or I can't pretend like I haven't seen Conan the Barbarian. And it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of like if the next season of game of Thrones felt a bit more like Beastmaster. Oh no. (laughs) It's like you've built up this aesthetic and then you break that aesthetic it bothers me then, but if it had been Beastmaster the whole time, I can roll with that. I, I love B-movies. I, yeah. I love especially that 1980s, I'm running around Vasquez Rocks, right. and my sword doesn't look like a real sword, and everyone has an American accent kind of movie. I can roll with that. But this one felt a lot more American than Conan the Barbarian. I mean, well, you had people like Max von Sydow and other people. Everyone, Arnold, actually, in a weird sort of way, his accent is a bonus because he sounds like he's from not here. Yeah. yeah. But if he sounds like he's from Bakersfield, then it's, <laughs> it's distracting. It wouldn't work. <laughs> it wouldn't work. Can you imagine, like, if it was Sylvester Stallone instead? Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got me wanting to see the original now because I want to oh, see this. It's worthwhile for at, sure. Yeah. It's it's a weird one because it, I think it, again I think it's the fact that this is a sequel that hurts it more than anything else, and that's ninety percent my bias. Yeah, I do like those kind of things. Um, well, I mean, let's but let's throw aside the fact that it because this story is more about this movie is more than about just the setting mm-hmm. because this was obviously turned. I don't know if it was originally, but it's obviously was turned into essentially an ensemble cast Mm -hmm. um and you may not think so because you know arnold is conan and conan is this huge fictional character that you know existed before arnold schwarzenegger was born and will people will still be writing conan stories for forever this movie sidelines conan in a very serious way because they have to actually pay off these characters that he's going along with them so they have to give them all their own moments with each other so you have these painfully long lulls where like they're uh sort of they're traveling in between you know in between one location on horseback and 
the uh, niece is saying like, how do you, t- you know, how do you take a man? What do you do with a man when you have him? And you're just like, when is this going to be done? This would have been a very different scene if it had been rated R. Right. <laughs> I was just going to say, well, the, 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 this like, is so- allow me to demonstrate. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real irony because at the beginning, Queen Bavmorda tells Bombata, tells Wilt Chamberlain's character that uh, the girl has to remain a virgin, otherwise they can't sacrifice her in the end. And I think that's really ironic because... Entrusting the virginity of your teenager to Wilt Chamberlain is like <laughs> entrusting a foot-long sandwich to Josh Gad. Or entrusting the virginity of a teenager to Wilt Chamberlain is like entrusting a bag of drugs to Charlie Sheen. Oh, that's gone. Or entrusting the virginity of a teenage girl to Wilt Chamberlain is like entrusting your life savings to Bernie Madoff. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's so weird. <laughs> it's, they make such a big deal if she needs to be a virgin, and then nothing happens with that that Arnold seems to be completely uninterested in her because that's the obvious. This is like the, you know, you're going to stay in the farmer's barn, but you can't touch his daughter. Yeah. It feels like that's that kind of like Chekhov's virginity that they're setting up, <laughs> but they never do anything with See, it. I, I really, I legitimately believe that the scene after they, I don't know which battle it is, but they're the fireside scene where Bob the goon is trying to, uh, is trying to have sex with uh, Grace Jones um, and Arnold is just getting drunk out of, you know, stuff in a gourd. He's just drinking out of a gourd. It makes no sense for him to drink in that scene because the scene before that is when he starts to be suspicious of Bombada. Right, right. But it's, uh, so this is the sort of thing where if, if it were the Conan, uh, the actual Conan, he would have been trying to, like, basically just throw himself on top of the, the girl. Yeah. Which th- then it would have paid off the virginity thing and then Bombada would have been given having a reason to be there. You that know? would have that would have been a... The, the rated R version of this, I could see it where she throws herself at Conan and Bombada doesn't know and then when it comes time to sacrifice her, it goes horribly wrong because she's not a virgin. <laughs> where, Record scratch. Where they're just like, whoa! And every, that's why, that's why uh, Dagoth... I don't know if Dagoth turns into a giant monster because... Uh, they did the thing wrong, or he would have always turned into a big monster, but would have been under their control if they ah. managed to slice her throat the way they were trying to. I, but yeah, it is weird the way they have this this group of characters. There's some of them I could I would happily cut out. Honestly, you really don't need Malek or the Wizard. I love I hmm. love Ma- Mako. I think he's great. But it almost kind of feels like we're just putting him in this because people will recognize him from the last one. Sure. Um, he really doesn't get a chance to do that much other than read those runes. Yep. And it seems like that's something that another character could have managed to do. Not well, Conan. I really, I really liked his, uh, like mind battle with the, the other wizard from the group that was chasing them. Oh, that was pretty epic. Where they're both trying to open or close that yes. door. It's like they both have a garage door opener. Yeah, I never <laughs> thought I would enjoy watching something like that. Two people think about a door opening and closing, but they, they, they <laughs> made it work. He does kind of feel like he's attacking the, the other guy. That The leader of the, of the Keepers of the Horn of Dagoth. Didn't he kind of seem like a more affordable Christopher Lee to you guys? <laughs> yeah, I see that. He just seemed like, yeah. you know, we can't get Christopher Lee. He would laugh in your fucking face if you showed him I had script. real problems because the, the actor who played the lead wizard there looks exactly like the guy who plays the Grand Vizier in Queen Babmorda's castle. He does. They look exactly the same. Yeah, there's a lot of those guys in Hollywood. It's just like the <laughs> I can't afford Christopher Lee guys. Do those people ever get sued for looking like the <laughs> I mean, I've heard I've heard of it happening in commercials because it looks like this celebrity's endorsing it when really it's just this other guy that looks like him. Court mandated plastic surgery. I sorry. Cut I, his face off. Cut you, his face it's off. It's like I'm I'm sorry lady, you need to look and sound a lot less like Julia Roberts. So yeah. we're going to you can't melt. I mean, if you were trying to impersonate him, I could see that. But you're just like, I'm sorry. You just remind me too much of this other actor. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. Malik Bob's character shouldn't be there. And uh, by the way, uh, does Ma- he contribute much of anything at all in this movie? All that I know is that that his his adventures off camera out of this are more uh, the more hilarious to me because he's going to have at least two really uncomfortable bowel movements. Yeah, really uncomfortable he's bowel movements. He's constantly grabbing gems oh. and swallowing them, and they're pretty big. <laughs> and you're not you don't see it, of course, but you know he's like you got to be ready for this. man. Ultimately, we know this is how he's going to die. <laughs> that one of these things is going to get stuck in his bowels. But also, how long has that gem been there? Uh, who knows. 
It's who knows what is oh. on there. But yeah, he doesn't. I think I actually took a count of the stuff he actually contributes to the group. He has one trick that he uses in a fight, and he does it like three times. Stabbing, the, jumping on a horse or something, and yeah. stabbing someone from behind. Yeah, he ju- he jumps on a horse behind somebody and st- double stabs him in the kidneys. He does that like three times. Um, he flips a switch. And then he um, throws a dagger into Dagoth's face. And aside from that, all he does is complain. <laughs> was he, do you think he was sort of a uh, a comic relief almost? Or? I think he's trying to be, but he's not very funny. Yeah, He just kind of comes across as a weirdo. It's like, why is Conan hanging around this guy? Uh, other than, and there's a lot of bad comedy in this movie. He's probably the worst example of it because he just doesn't go away. Uh <laughs> He threatens to, and he just will never follow through on that. He breaks his word all the time to go away. But um, well, I mean, I think I think even some of uh, the very little Arnold sort of slapstick comedy is terrible. Like he's drunk and he runs into the ch- the chest of Will Chamberlain, and it's like Wiley e. Coyote hitting the wall or something. And Blong, and he falls back over, and you're like, this doesn't belong. The only thing it doesn't have is a little tweeting birds after he falls. <laughs> it's really then there's a they bit- could have drawn that in. It would actually fit the feeling of this the way they did this movie and as they're riding up to queen terramis's castle they notice there's a camel on the side of the street oh god and arnold famously punched out a camel in the first conan the barbarian and for some reason uh malik who was not in the first movie goes oh hey you recognize that camel one you don't recognize a camel (laughs) maybe i'm maybe i'm a horrible person this is my archie bunker moment but all camels look the same to me uh And he's like, and Arnold starts apologizing to this camel, and the camel spits on him. I don't know if that's what camel spit looks like. It looks pretty atrocious, though. It looks really awful. He should really see a doctor. But the, <laughs> it's it's things like then he bonks the camel over the head, and it's it's painfully dumb. When this movie wants to be bad, it's embarrassingly bad. I mean, that's that's I, I use that word very specifically, embarrassingly bad. Like, I think I would rather have somebody walk in on me watching pornography <laughs> than watching those parts of the movie. It's it's bad, where it's just like, why are we, what are we doing here? So the, the things to me that I don't think it has any excuse for doing poorly, for one, I would say would be the, well, the monster stuff. Because this is, these are the types of movies where, like I said before, think about the, not the Sarlacc, the, uh, who is the creature that lives underneath Jabba's palace? Oh, you're talking about the Rancor. Rancor, yes. Um, think about how awesome, the, even though the Rancor was a stop-motion figure, consider what if Dagoth was more like the Rancor? What mm. if Dagoth was a giant creature? Or what if the Tothamon sort of lizard creature was a giant lizard creature or something? Even if you're to accept sort of the Ray Harryhausen sort of stop-motion stuff, which is like doesn't do awesomely uh you know just the way the way that it's filmed is, is it not amazing but the sort of the style of it of itself and the the way they uh in, integrate those with live action scenes can be pretty pretty impressive for a film pre-digital right well they, I, mean, I, they, I needed to see more more grandeur yeah. and it and it just felt too much like oh we'll just get a uh you know we'll pay a lot for the head of this thing or in the case of Tothamon, pay almost nothing for the head of this yeah, thing. Yeah, it feels like that was a part of the movie that skimped on the budget. Yeah. But I mean, with, with uh, Dagoth at the end, um, and you're talking about using stop motion to sort of Harryhausen it up a bit, you could, and you can actually do that in an R-rated movie, let it be a little bit silly, but you cover it up by having it also be super gory. Yeah. Like, I mean, probably the best example is the Ed 209 in Robocop, because the Ed 209 is a stop motion character. But he's a stop-motion character that turns a guy into red mist. Mike says that as he points to his T-shirt, because he has a 209 on his shirt right now. <laughs> it, Listeners at home. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where I think you can do it. I think that silliness can work well if there's like this gritty kind of ugliness to it. And I think that there's parts of this movie where Arnold is just hitting people off camera with a clang. But then you get to the final battle. The final battle at the castle feels the most like what I want a Conan movie to do. Because, like, Grace Jones throws that spear and impales that wizard dude yeah. as he's about to sacrifice her. And there's, like, blood that comes out of his back. There's a bit where... I mean, there's several times where they're fighting Dagoth where he gets, like, an axe in the chest. And it, like, squirts. I mean, they bring back some monster blood effects. And Oh, I mean, that thing where he rips off the horn and then 
instead of the red blood that you've been used to, there's this weird green slime that's trickling out on the floor. That's like, that's awesome. That's cool. There are two weird substances in this giant creature. Yeah. And when he pulls the horn off, it's not just like it breaks off. It's like there's tendons and rubbery gross stuff inside. It made me, it reminded me of when I was a lot younger and one time I ripped out a tooth to get money oh. <laughs> like it's sort of that like, I, and it made my it made me think of that are like, we talking about you know. your own tooth or is this just like a thing you did for the mob um <laughs> it's like you're collecting well, money how, you took I, a tooth. how how do you think i would answer if it was for the mob <laughs> anyway <laughs> I, I think you'd keep your fucking mouth shut yes. like a like a good soldier yeah i want to keep all my teeth thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it i i fucking love that moment with the horn because it's so that's why i said gross. i like the head but the rest of it still feels like a armed by the giant in a suit apparently oh is it because of the weird like flipper things on his arms i don't know it's just the way the bottom half of those sort of the body of the character looked it just looked too much like a is he coming move around very much he kind of stays in one place like he's kind of coming up out of the ground like a muppet a little bit like you don't see you don't see his legs so I think it's supposed to imply that he's bigger under there. Well, there's that one insert shot where he steps down from the pedestal oh, and the tiles right. break, which yeah. I thought was a, was good. And I'd like to see more of that showing like the locomotion of him to, to make him scarier. Other than that, he's just a thing sitting in the middle of the room that doesn't move, which is not scary. He's like a, a Christmas tree, and they're all putting their ornaments of weapons onto it. <laughs> they are. Everyone takes their turn, and Arnold finally gets to... to he, he, put gets, the he gets to put the angel off the tree, I guess. Yeah, he pulls it off. <laughs> it's, and he is green. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit like Christmas, but I, it, people get killed. Yeah. Um, there are little things like that, like him impaling the queen on, on the horn when Dagoth comes to life. It's I mean, why the fuck else would you bring a monster, an ancient, you know, elder god to life? Of course, the first thing it's going to fucking do is kill the people that brought it back. Because I swear, monsters are the least, you know, grateful people in the world. <laughs> they, they do not want to be resuscitated. No. I think, that, I mean, they've got these warnings written on the walls yeah. and all that. And that was like the version of his DNR card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just yes. like, don't bring me back. How yeah. dare you? I just want to be a slumbering god. A bunch of weirdos in robes can worship my horn. That's cool. But, uh, you know, just going to spread my stuff around. I'm just going to sleep in a statue or whatever. <laughs> you know, just leave me alone. I'm not going to take over the world. And if you bring me back, I'm going to stomp on some tiles. I'm going to shoot some lightning. And I'm going to impale some people. You know, I was going to say that the, the one of the things that, for me, takes this off into a different direction than the first movie is, um, the stakes of this are sort of comically huge. They're like a death comes to the whole world sort of stakes. And you're like, well, you know, the first Conan movie, there was, there was not like cosmic stakes of whether or not he killed, you know... Uh, Earl, Earl, what is it? James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Like I don't remember. Can't remember his name. Well, it's like a There's death. No... It's a death cult that killed his family. Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was a revenge story. But what happened if Conan didn't succeed? Well, probably not much. Yeah. Like it wasn't like a monster god was going to come awake and destroy the whole world. The death cult will kill some more villages and and torture people. But it's not like. If Conan, where did, no, Conan where is, you come back from? Oh, I saved the whole world from yeah. being destroyed by a god but, monster. But again, at the first one, if Conan Aliens, had just yeah if nuclear Conan, weapon, Conan has to disarm a nuke. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> time traveling from the future, <laughs> bigger, louder yeah. with time travel. Yes. But I mean, if Conan in the first movie had just gotten on his horse and decided to give up revenge and just rode a thousand miles away, he would have never heard anything of uh, that bad guy again. He could have just avoided him forever. The guy would have kept on being a bad pe- person and killing people. But if Conan doesn't care about that, if his his motivation is just entirely selfish, then that doesn't have to bother him. But if you're unleashing an elder god that says the death of the whole world, <laughs> then you know you you're kind of playing for the biggest hand in the world. There. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just those. That's a, this is the cheapest possible thing you can do in a in a in an action movie in a fantasy movie, and I hate it. It's the dumb, it's a dumb trope. Yeah, I kind of love the small stakes of of Conan. The character usually has, where occasionally there's an elder god, but it's not like the elder god is going to destroy the world. It's just going to murder a bunch of people in a city, and that's usually how that sort of stuff goes. And um, I will say though, I want to say some positive stuff about this movie that I really do like the bit where right before the battle in the throne room that Arnold and Wilt Chamberlain get into a fight, and I fucking love that. There's some yeah. ear trauma there. He doesn't get a quip, though, after he dies, though. You, no. I can, you, you see his reaction, Arnold. You see, like, a, a shot that's sort of tilting up, 
at Arnold and he's sort of like, oh, oh, he's winded or whatever. And you really just want him to get have a line there. But he's, he's Conan, so he doesn't have one. I kind of wish that Arnold, well, the guy's choking him after he stabbed him in the stomach with that dagger. I kind of want one more of those punch the dagger moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in an R-rated movie, Wilt would be allowed to have a little blood come out of his mouth. Sure. But uh, he does manage to hit the Superfly Jimmy Snooka splash off the top ropes onto Arnold. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And, like, I I can't not point out when professional wrestling maneuvers are used in an action movie. But there's, like, three or four of them in this one. It's pretty great. Uh, the 80s were a, were a really amazing time when you could actually just insert not only wrestling, you know, wrestlers as actors, but wrestling moves yeah. into your movies. You still get occasionally. I mean, we just watched... Um, uh, the last stand with Sean last time. There's a power bomb in that movie yeah. on that bridge. And <laughs> I have to say, if I'm getting into a fight with someone, no way. <laughs> even if I was strong enough, am I going to do the first part of the power bomb? Like, gonna, I, just asking for trouble, putting someone's head down there. What are you doing? Yeah, I don't think it would work. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta soften them up to throw them off the ropes first. <laughs> they have to be dazed. They have to be dazed. Yes. You gotta you gotta knock down their power bar. Yeah. But it's there's a lot of things that are just kind of strange. I love when those stuff comes up in a movie but it was it felt like it was done in the service of making arnold's conan more bloodless yeah because i mean if there's anything that's about conan you got a taste of conan the amoral selfish character where he's willing to go ahead with the plan to unleash dagoth because he wants to bring back his lady love um i kind of like that where he knows the stakes and he says fuck it i don't care you can fuck the world as long as i get back the woman i love who's dead um that's a taste of it but they they kind of drop it after that after he realizes he's been betrayed and it's probably a lie um you know there's there's bits of it there's there's glimpses of the conan what about that that moment at the very end where all the the party members are like yeah i'll be your jester yeah i'll be your court wizard and then you get to arnold and he's like oh arnold you're my favorite of all (laughs) he wants a heart yes (laughs) (laughs) and then he's like no and then walks out yeah he he gets a kiss that he does not reciprocate that's that's how because that would be a crime because she's 15 (laughs) (laughs) arnold doesn't want to go to jail i am i am a lot more uncomfortable with that movie knowing that she was 15. <laughs> she now. was 15 years old. Yeah, they had to they clearly had to ratchet down the rapine part of Conan because of the age of the actress yeah. for sure. I like, mean, this is not going to play well. The fact that Arnold shows no interest in her in the movie just makes me take a sigh of relief. It's kind of like in what is the name of that one? Is it For Your Eyes Only, the James Bond movie where this 20 something year old girl, like she's like 18 to 20 throws herself at Roger Moore. Who's got to be in his late fifties. <laughs> and he, and apparently Roger Moore behind the scenes was like, Nope, I'm not doing that. That's just creepy. That Roger Moore was of an age with this girl's grandmother. And he's like, mm. no, I'm mm. no, there's, you know, that's some, <laughs> no, that, that's some Tony Randall like shit right there. And you gotta, you gotta kind of love it when they, they pull back from that. But yeah, that, that's the element of this movie is knowing how young she is. I want to feel a little bit gross while watching a Conan movie, but not that kind of gross. <laughs> I, I, I can't stress what, it. What enough. kind of gross do you want? Well, like when he rips the horn off, that's yeah. the kind of gross that I want. Well, the, the kind of, well, they never, the ripping the horn off, I think is the, is the most fuck yeah that you get. You don't get a moment like the first Conan movie where he's being crucified and uh, there are vultures eating the flesh from, uh, from his chest and he, thrashes his head over with his teeth bites him off and throws it on the ground just using his <laughs> neck and his jaw yeah, like, couple- you want that kind of moment for Conan and he doesn't get any of them where he has this like weird arm thing with a spike on his elbow and he like jabs that into the neck of somebody in Conan the Barbarian right and the guy's like oh there's like a sound like you just hit like a, a side of beef with a battle axe <laughs> I mean it's that kind of that's a kind of gross where it's just it's kind of you, you're reminded that that sword fighting is really fucking awful and that if you hit somebody with a sword it does stuff and it doesn't just kill you instantly. A lot of people in the original Conan movie, uh, he'll like slash them across the stomach and they just fall back and they're leaning against the wall looking at their open wounds and Arnold's oh. already moved on. Okay. That <laughs> That's what make, I mean. Yeah. That's the kind of gross I want. I don't want a kind of gross that puts me on a registry. Uh. <laughs> I mean, that's not cool. Uh, but yeah, it's it's little things like that that I think... 
No, I mean, make I, this movie just such a jumble, and I think that it's because this movie was uh, probably edited down from an R rating that well, a lot of that stuff is like they. It was harder to take it out while they're fighting the monster, or maybe the blood was more acceptable because it was a monster sure. and not a person. Sure. I don't know. That sounds kind of racist. Um, <laughs> well, the monster sometimes doesn't bleed red like you and I. So right. yeah. that's the difference. Make it, just make it clean on blood and everything's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, I, I also, there is another piece of here that I noticed only on my second, my second will watch uh, through of this, which is the pacing is really weird and it kind of felt like uh, they were cutting to pad for time. Mm. Because and or and or cutting because the producers were like, well, we spent so much fucking money on these sets, you may as well have a minute and a half scene where they're panning from left to right and having the characters walk really slowly through, you know, twelve feet of set. <laughs> Which is there's a, there is a, there are some sequences where they're like, especially in the crypt, they're like they're spending way too much time. It's feel like Star Trek the motion picture. Yeah, it's like you're spending so much time getting there because well, we bothered to build this, so we might as well put it on the screen. But. Star Trek the motion picture at least has the excuse that you've never seen the Enterprise look this good, where we've already seen the world of Conan, yeah. and we've already gotten long shots of it. You might as well just do the story now. It's It just reminds me of those, uh, it reminds me of like uh, drive-in B-movies where you'll have a, a scene that's entirely in a wide shot and it's you know it plays out over 90 seconds and it's just you know a character preparing to get into a car and starting the car and going away and you're like well why did we need to see all of that well because we needed to fit 90 <laughs> seconds to this part of the movie so it would get a you know a 90 minute runtime or something there was a lot there was, it seemed like a lot of this where they could have if it were a guy Ritchie movie you know they would it would be like 30 minutes long you know there's a- that's how much that, how much padding this has in it there's a thing in this movie that a positive thing I want to talk oh, about okay. that I actually do quite like a bit, which is Wilt Chamberlain's signature weapon. Oh yeah, it's it's such a strange thing. It's a basically a spiked mace, but there's a curved blade on the side of it that kind of curves downward. And if you were just to see the silhouette of this weapon, it kind of looks like an angry parrot. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the it's such a bizarre choice uh, for a for a weapon for me. It's like a sword too. Yeah. But he's always hitting people with this thing, and I fucking love it. I kind of love little touches like that. And I guarantee you a lot of people playing Dungeons & Dragons have argued about what the stats for that weapon could be, because they kind of <laughs> want to use it. No, the, the, props are, the props are well done in this movie. Uh, the Grand Vizier in ba- Queen Babmorda's uh, castle, he's got a staff, and you see it in the shot. Oh. ahead of a staff, and it's basically... A series of cyclops skulls with a horn on them, and there's it's like got like four sides, and there's a skull on each of the four sides, a single like red jeweled eye cyclops. And I was like, that's, that's fucking bizarre. That's really cool. Yeah, that, that's one of the best props in the movie. And I guarantee you, after this movie was done, that was turned into the world's greatest gear shift. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I just saw um, Armageddon, and they had a a skull gear shift. <laughs> oh yeah, as well. so, on a NASA thing. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Somebody installed that. But I guess that brings us, it's time for us to talk about the two questions we oh, ask yeah, with of course. every Arnold movie. So the first question, question the first, is Conan the Destroyer a good movie? No. <laughs> is it simple as that? <laughs> Why, Sean? Why? It's not, it's not good. I wanted to watch it twice but i just couldn't bring myself to but isn't that a sign of a good movie that you want to watch it twice (laughs) are you doing that out of obligation to us or i I saw it once okay and then i wanted to watch it twice but i was like nope everything that you need is in one go of it Uh, you do it's not a oh forgettable huh is what you're saying it's forgettable yeah Yeah, it's uh it's it the the score basil pa pa paladoris paladoris i um, was afraid to say it but the same composer of the first one yeah. so that's why you've had a, there was a little continuity there there was sometimes when i was like i was like the mood that's being made in this movie with the score and then sometimes they hit it just right where the setting you know on horses through a place that looks particular very other were great mm-hmm. some of them were fantastic it's just when those things the tapestry is threaded together with those f- fucking ridiculous character bits, with the characters that, that it should be cut in half, where they didn't make any sense, where the humor was just 
fell flat. It was just unbearably silly. Um, and they just, they, they, um, what is it? The director talked about how he saw the first Conan movie and given Arnold's physique, he decided that he wanted to have Arnold wear very little clothes 90% of the time mm-hmm. because otherwise you're wasting your greatest asset. That's what they did in this movie is they wasted their greatest asset is they didn't give Conan, or they didn't give Arnold enough time as Conan. They didn't get a, a chance to make it feel enough like a Conan movie and give him to, more to do. That said, I like what Arnold does playing the goofy guy. There's some moments where I'm like, I'm like, Arnold really... His his acting coach acting classes over the last couple or his like accent cl- coaches I would imagine they did really well from you know 1982 to 1984 and he looked really super comfortable being that character and playing all sorts of silly faces and stuff and I was like that's the best part really is seeing Arnold finally comfortable and doing um, being able to lead and be that character and be able to transform himself um, but unfortunately the movie just doesn't give him enough. Yeah, I I was figuring out how I was going to answer this question, and the best answer I found I could give was, nah. <laughs> because on, on one hand, this is definitely not a movie I would, like, show to film students as a way to make films. It's not like, it, it's, I only have so many hours of class that I have to fill, and I'm not going to fill an hour and 45 minutes of it with Conan the Destroyer. <laughs> It's just not, it's not important enough uh, for me to sort of deal with it, even as a, a question of it well, being a part maybe, of the genre. Maybe as a challenge, fix this movie. How oh. did you make it better? Oh, God, I think that's that's my, my next point, which is it doesn't, directed by John Milius, and I think yeah. that John Milius, um, self-described Zen fascist, uh, is probably the right guy for Conan, which is that he brings that sort of ugly dog-eat-dog world element to Conan, that amoral element to Conan that I think it's clear that a lot of other filmmakers, especially studios, are uncomfortable giving to a lead character. And they make it a lot jokier. They make it a lot uh, stupider. They make it sillier. They make it PG-rated. And it kind of waters down the things that make that first movie like shocking well, and memorable. I mean, case in point, Arnold still wears the the wheel, yeah, as a pendant around his neck. And if you just saw the second movie, you'd have no idea. In the first movie, they established the wheel because Conan was a slave. He was enslaved and sold to push around this wheel that turned who knows what from the time when he was a child to when he was a teenager, and that's how he got his muscled physique, as he spent all the time pushing stuff. He was he was basically a slave in in near torture uh, in a near torture situation all of his life until he was able to break his chains and break free and he keeps that memento as I guess you know as a reminder of how difficult life is how much pain and suffering there is in life that's nowhere to be found here in this movie yeah nowhere to be seen there's that like I said there's those little glimpses of what Conan could be. In those little parts. Like, I think the part where he frees Grace Jones, where she's fighting those people next to that giant mud pile. Yeah. That feels like a John Milius Conan part. Wait, is is Grace Jones, is Zula a furry? Because she's got the little tail on the back of her. I see see the young, the young ends with the furry tails. It's perhaps, maybe she was the first furry. I don't know. Yeah. She's a badass, I'll say that. (laughs) I I noticed that her tail got scored. It got a little music when they come out of the water and she shakes it and the music goes doo-doo, doo-doo. Oh! <laughs> Another example of the, the dumbness. Yes. Little things like that. It's like the, yes. like the Hanna-Barbera with those sound effects show up in a serious movie. <laughs> it it just goes, wait, what, what would just happen? What was the score? But, you know, that's the thing is that I think Richard Fleischer has done some great movies. Sure. He's done some historically important movies. Conan the Destroyer is not one of them. That said... I had fun watching this movie. I could I I wasn't looking at the clock while watching this movie. Mm. That this is a very breezy hour and 45 minutes. And I watched it twice uh, prepping for this and I had no problem either time. Um I wasn't bored at any point. I thought it was dumb. It's not <laughs> what I wanted. And again there's that that specter of the previous movie hanging over. Maybe these things would not bother me if this was yeah. the first Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan I, I movie. I agree. I agree. So, I don't know. There are things that I love. Again, the fight with Bombada at the end, I think, is great. It's it's brutal. It's mean. Uh, Bombada bites his ear. Yeah, it does Mike just, Tyson. Yeah, just there's awesome. blood coming down the side of Arnold's head. And it, it's just, it's so jarring because the movie 
up until that climax is very bloodless. So to to get to that point is great. It's like this is what I want. I want this kind of ugliness. So yeah, I think Dagoth that fight was great. We've all talked about that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. all together, it's an yeah movie. Okay, that's that's one down. There's two down and one yeah. So yeah, so now we have the final question: Is Conan the Destroyer a good Arnold movie? I'm an, I'm gonna say no. I like I said, they have that moment where they could have given Arnold the the payoff of a quip after killing Bombada, and he doesn't have him. Like when they switch to the that reverse shot of him, I'm like, that was your chance to do it. And for the reasons I said before, they just don't give him enough time to be Arnold. He is he he does get to be a badass, a fucking badass, which is great. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't get to shine in the way that Arnold gets to shine usually. And I think it's like I said, they wanted to make an ensemble out of it and take Conan out of it. And unfortunately, there's so so much little Conan, and so there's so much so very little Arnold. So to someone else to say no, even though he's an iconic character, I've got to say no. I could I could imagine um, someone who is a diehard fan of of Arnold um, pretending that this movie didn't exist in the same way that a lot of people skipped Star Wars Episode One. You know, like it's a wise uh, move. Yeah, see, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just not. Um, yeah, I agree. Not enough. Not enough. Arnold was he now at this time in his career were directors and screenwriters um confident in his abilities enough yet to to trust him with with Not more white i th- i mean terminator came out the same year as this and that i mean this and, and first conan had had uh, been two years earlier mm-hmm. and that had sort of established him as being like this oh yeah he's there's something here yeah his his name was really put on the map with conan the barbarian and that's Basically, two years later than Terminator, and Terminator was a thing that exploded him into a superstar. And after that point, people started writing stuff or rewriting stuff for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they just didn't they they just didn't know Arnold yet. You know, maybe if this movie had come out a little bit after Terminator, they would have given him more because oh, they, they would have seen him. I think they would have. I think if you, I think you're right. I think if this had come out after Terminator, they would have cut out half of the characters and given their screen time to Arnold. Yeah, but that, that's kind of where I'm asking myself this question. It's hard for me to say that a Arnold as Conan movie is not a good Arnold movie. Um, I mean, he's kind of almost proto Arnold. He's still in his early stages, pupil Arnold. <laughs> but I, I'd say that on one level, there's yeah, definitely it's a good Arnold movie in the sense that Arnold is in the golden age of his prime. I mean, he's fucking ripped in this movie. I mean, he is he is a shiny piece of, of leathery beef that <laughs> is glistening in the sun, and he gets these insane feats of strength where uh, he punches out a horse with an uppercut early in is the it movie. Lift up a he lift a stone door by himself, a heavy stone door. He man uh, in the Hyborian age, there's no use for locks. You just make it out of heavy ass stones. You just make it heavy enough, and then you just really hope that a, a beefy dude who's been pushing a wheel his whole life doesn't show up, and then you're golden. But uh, I mean, he he does he does that thing where they try, these two guys on horses are dragging a net between them and try to grab him. He grabs the net and yanks both of them off of their horses. That's a good Arnold feat of strength. So yeah. there's a bit of that. He does get to hack the shit out of a lot of people. Not as bloody as I want, but if I just cut it down to the fight with Sven Only Thorson, the fight with Wilt Chamberlain, and the fight with Dagoth, those little moments there, there's like pieces of that's the Arnold yeah. that I want. That's yeah. good Arnold stuff. Um, I just wish that the goofy stuff wasn't in there too. And again, you know... You have these guys basically stepping on his screen time, especially Bob the Goon, a.k.a. Malik the Thief. That guy is, he has silver screen poison. <laughs> yeah. Would you say he, his screen time swallowed the gem? That oh, man. it feels like we got the gem after he passed <laughs> it. <laughs> and I used to work in jewelry, so I can tell you, for most of those colored gemstones, if they went through your body, they wouldn't. 
be the same afterwards. <laughs> like there's these finishes and polishing and all this treatment that's done. I don't think it would be worth as much after. No, especially yeah. if you've known where it's been. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> it's been moldering on the side of a cave for a hundred years. I imagine he'd wipe it off and just not tell somebody. <laughs> Why does he is, he? is he so afraid that somebody's gonna to to repo this stuff? Yeah, no, no one. No one shakes them down at all for the entire time. Conan won't let anyone touch them. I mean, the only person they don't he get could, caught. Yeah, the only person he could be hiding it from is Conan. So <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, and it's like, okay, that one's yours. That one you just swallowed. They really don't get captured, do they? No. They don't get captured at all. So that trope as a thing isn't even there. So why bother? I don't fucking know. <laughs> it just, But it, it is interesting that we kind of see with these characters um, that they kind of really embody the classic fantasy RPG trope of the murder hobo. <laughs> <laughs> that the murder hobo, of course, is you. this is a character you play in a fantasy RPG where... You um, don't have a permanent home, that you live on the road, and you mostly survive by killing people and taking their stuff. (laughs) And they kind of embody it here. So on one level, yeah, Conan gets to do that in a way that he doesn't really in the original. So I guess on that note, Sean, Duncan... Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Podcast of La Vista, baby. Yes. Thanks I'm, again, Sean. So, Sean, if you if you have anything that uh, you'd like to pitch, anything you'd like to plug, please. Sure thing. Yeah. You can find my music um, online. Um, just search for Vibe Rinse, and it's two words, V-I-B-E-R-I-N-S-E. Oh, thank you very much, Sean. And I want to have a special thank you to our Patreon episode sponsors. Oh, yes. We have three of them now. Oh, that's awesome. So I want to send out a special thank you to Margaret King, Larry Brunswick, and Tim Batson. Thank you, guys. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank you so very much. And if you want to be an episode sponsor for Radio vs. the Martians, check us out uh, at uh, patreon.com slash radio vs. the Martians, radio vs. the Martians.com, or podcastalavistababy.com. Help us out, and we'll keep making stuff for you. And in the meantime, we will catch you all next month. Thank you very much. Podcast de la Vista Baby is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And finally, you can find us online at podcastalavistababy.com and radioversusthemartians.com. I suppose nothing hurts you. Only pain. <laughs>